Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. It's lovely to be here. Um, I'm really blessed and thankful for the opportunity. So um, it's wonderful. I, I, I've been thinking about it, but I really feel like I'm talking to my family. So nerves aside, um, it's just beautiful to be here. Um, to begin, I wanted to just say thank you um, for being here and Happy New Year. I haven't seen you since last year. <laughs> I always love that one. Um, <laughs> my name is Apley. School teacher by profession. I teach 10-year-olds. And uh, I apologise right now if you feel like you're catapulted back into your primary school days. I hope they were good. <laughs> um, so I wanted to just begin um, in true teacher fashion and um, use a method that I call turn and talk. Uh, that I, I'm going to use that a few times throughout the message. So it sounds pretty simple. You turn and you talk about a question or a topic that I've put up on screen. Um, sounds pretty simple, but here's the hard part, or at least it is for my 10-year-olds. When I start counting backwards from five to zero, it's time to turn to the front and use it, <laughs> and um, I'm going to talk again. So if um, we could begin with, could you turn and talk to the person next to you and tell them a piece of great news that you have heard recently? So I'll give you a moment to just turn to someone next to you and tell them a piece of great news that you've heard recently. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> thanks, room. And five, four, three, two, one, and zero. <laughs> um, I just want you to remember the people you've spoken to this morning. You've said hello to a few people, told someone a great piece of news. It, it comes natural to share great news. It's great to share great news. And that's something I'd really like to speak to you about today. Um, so uh, I've entitled this message, Know Your Place. And um, I hope that over the, over the next half an hour or so, you really feel like you um, understand why I've, I've entitled it that. So um, first question I wanted to ask you is, what is City Hill's vision? Uh, Joel mentioned it this morning. Uh, it's on our website, Facebook banner. Uh, I'm pretty sure Fuzi and Joel have uh, preached on it a few times. So um, in your mind right now, can you think, can you remember, what is the vision of City Hill? I'm going to give you just a moment to think about it. Is there someone who'd like to share it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I think there's someone here. <laughs> I didn't plan this at all. Would you like to turn around, Tanya, and say in a big, loud voice? <laughs> City Hill is Christ-centred, gospel-advancing, city-impacting church. Amen. And this is our vision, and I do say it is our vision. Our vision as a family. It's not just Fuzi and Joel's vision. It is our vision as a family, and we each have a part to play in the fulfilment of this vision. Um, Lovely picture of Julie up there. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I want you to just have a think now as I, as I begin of how you think we're going as a church in fulfilling this vision of being a Christ-centred, gospel-advancing, city-impacting church. How do you think that you're going personally? What did you do in 2018 that contributed to us being, as a body, a Christ-centred, city-impacting, gospel-advancing church? And I want to really, I want to focus on the last two. I don't think anyone would argue that we're not Christ-centred, but I want to encourage us and to think about how we can each pay our, play our part to be gospel-advancing and city-impacting as a church. So um, I have a question up on screen, and it is, what do you think evangelism is? What is evangelism? 
Okay. Um, I want you to have a think in your mind. What do you think evangelism is? And I want you to keep that definition in your mind. And I hope that over the next half an hour that you would be encouraged to rethink what you, what you believe evangelism is to, to be. Um, I have a, a quote on screen. Uh, it's by Lawrence Singlehurst who wrote a book called Sowing, Reaping and Keeping. Evangelism is a process over a period of time of taking people from where they are and changing their picture of God and the church through the work of the Holy Spirit. They will then hopefully want to give their lives to Christ. So the way that I've structured today's message is a what, why and how. What is it that we want to share? Why do we want to share it and how do we go about sharing it? Um, to begin with, the what. What is it that we want to share? It's the gospel. It's good news. And the gospel really is good news. It's good news for everybody. Um, the truth is that we hold the most important message that our world has ever and will ever know. And the gospel truly is good news from for every family member, every friend you have, every neighbour, every person you come across, the person sitting next to you. It is good news for us all. Um, I've been meditating on the riches in the scriptures of First John, First uh, Peter one, for about a month now, and um, God has told me so much of His good news, and I wanted to share a little bit of it. In verse two, God told me that I am chosen by Him. In verse three, that He is my living hope. In verse seven, He told me that He wants my faith to be proved genuine, and not like a copy handbag that you take it home and it breaks the moment you take it home, <laughs> but to be proved genuine so that it brings glory to him. This is really good news. He's shown me the eternal significance of my faith, that the prophets of old actually were serving me to bring me to this moment in my faith today. And then verse 12. In verse 9, he told me that the ultimate goal of my faith is not the works that I'm called to do right here, but that he wants to spend eternity with me, that I'm that precious to him. In a moment when I felt so exhausted and empty, he said, it's not about what you're doing here. I want to spend eternity with you. This is really good news. Um, he told me that he's keeping my inheritance safe in heaven, where it will not perish, spoil or fade, and so not to lose hope or to lose faith by taking my eyes off of him. This is really good news. He's told me that my value is so indescribably great that I was bought by the spilling of his precious blood in verses 18 to 19, that his death revalues the entire human race, that we are all worth the same. We are all worth riches incomparable beyond value, the value of God's own son, and that I'm called to see every single person with this value. This is good news. Um, I have <laughs> an image on screen. Um, on the plane home, uh, just like two days ago, uh, I was watching a short documentary on Oslo and they showed about this museum that has 12,000, over 12,000 mini bottles on display. This one man has spent his life collecting mini bottles. And when I watched it, what really captured me was how he has each of these bottles on display. Like they have each of their own display. It's, a, it's so beautiful that each one of these bottles of his collection is like his pride and joy. And I thought, wow, with 12,000 bottles? <laughs> um, and what God was speaking to me yesterday as I was still in first, uh, first um, Peter 1, he was telling me that if we were each in a museum, he could give every one of us our own display, that we are so intricately and personally and beautifully made that he just loves us so much that we are unique 
and he could take us on a guided, <laughs> guided uh, tour of his museum of his billions of masterpieces, that each one of you are special and important, so unique and loved by him. This is really, really good news. So in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter, he tells us to always be prepared with an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. And I'd like to invite Bex up to share a short testimony about the hope that we have in Jesus. Good morning, church. Um, I just want to share a little bit of encouraging testimony with you all. And some of you may know my husband, Nicol. He's sitting here. Um, and this testimony is really about um, his and I journey and him becoming a Christian and just some of the battles we went through. And this is really to encourage you all. Um, so when we were 15, Nicol and I started dating. Um, Nicole was a Hindu and I was a Christian and he was just as cheeky then as he is now he's still cheeky <laughs> but then he was a Hindu um, so we met we started dating and Nicole came from a very conservative Hindu background so there was expectations already upon his life and we started dating and we date we were dating um, for a couple of years and there was a lot of tension because of the fact that we were seeing each other. Nico was expected to marry an Indian Hindu lady and I unfortunately was not that. Um, so there was a lot of tension um, from his family and then at the age of 17 uh, Nico decided it was completely a surprise to me because I'd been sharing the gospel with Nicol for a couple of years and it was quite difficult because every time I shared you know he was so firm in the Hindu faith and I would share and I would try to tell him about Jesus but he was really strong in his faith but at the age of 17 God did something completely radical in Nicol's life and the conversion that Nicol had was just crazy he went from being this man who had he was very um shy and you know he had a lot of um pressures and insecurities to this man who was fully confident in God and knew exactly who, who he was meant to be so that was a amazing conversion um but because of that conversion the tensions heightened um First, Nico was seeing me, and now he was a Christian. So for his family, this was really, really difficult. Um, you know, they wanted him to have a certain life, and they wanted the best for him in what they seen, um, but it was not um, corresponding with what they wanted. So at the age of 17, Nico became disowned by his family, and that was a really tough season. And... We went through university and we got engaged, we got married. And unfortunately, Nicole's parents were not a part of that. There was little to no contact with them. And in this time, we really had to trust God to believe that God could do something supernatural in this situation. What seemed like a hopeless situation at the time, we really needed to have that faith and that hope to believe God could turn this situation around. 
But Nicol had a conversation with his parents and said, look, we will leave it in your hands. You can decide anytime you want to be a part of our lives. So um, for about seven, eight years, we really had no contact. But this is where God is good, and this is where the good news comes. Um, Nico got a phone call from his dad about a year ago, just out of the blue, no contact. He gets a phone call from his dad, and his dad says, hi, son, how are you? And he says, I'm good, dad. And then the second thing he says is, how is Bex? Now, for the 10 years we've been together, they had not said my name. They didn't refer to me. So for them to say my name was a huge thing. It was such a big moment in time. And we had a conversation with them over the phone. A month later, we met them for dinner. And a couple of months later, I met them myself for dinner. And eight months later, they met my mom and dad for the first time in 10 years. Um, so it's been amazing to see the relationship now with Nicole's parents. Is, <laughs> it's amazing. The love there, the unity. There is nothing there but absolute love and affection. And it's only God who can do something like that. Nobody else. I mean, we, <laughs> we couldn't do anything, but God is a good God. And the two things I want to share this morning is God is our hope. Maybe last year, maybe in the season of your life, maybe you're going through a really hopeless season where you cannot see hope in a situation. You cannot see a way out. But have hope. Have faith. Because God is the God who is good. He is the God of promises. He is the God who gives love and life. And so even in this hopeless season, I encourage you, church, have hope. Have hope that God can turn around any situation for his good and his glory. Never lose hope. It's never too late. It says in Proverbs, where there is breath, there is hope. Have hope. When there is life, there is hope. Until that last breath, there is hope for you. There is hope for your family. There is hope for people around you. And the second thing I want to share is God is our answer. We don't have all the answers. We will never have all the answers. But God is our answer. He has all the answers. And in this situation, in this testimony, we didn't have the answer. We couldn't control the situation. We tried. We tried to control it. We tried to contain it. But God is the one in control. And God is the one who has the answers. And as we do Alpha, we have this amazing privilege to share with these people to say, God is a God of hope. You have a hope. You have a future in him. He has plans for you. He wants to prosper you. And second, God has the answers. People are searching for something. We're all hoping for something. You know, our families are hoping for something. They're hoping that they can find love and happiness and joy. And we have that answer in Christ. So I encourage you this morning, remember, God is our hope. God is our answer. And always know that you have a testimony to share. I'm sharing one little bit of our testimony. But we all have a testimony. And we all have good news to share. Because all of our testimonies lead to the testimony of the cross. And that itself is just an absolute miracle and blessing. 
So I want to encourage you this morning, church. Sorry. Okay. Um, which brings me next to uh, why. Why is it that we want to share this good news? And above all else, above everything, it needs to be motivated out of love. It's an over, uh, overflowing of the love that God has put into us. He's give, uh, given us hope and he's given us purpose. He's given us answers. He's given us all that we seek. And it's when we are filled with that, it's an overflowing of that love we want to show and share with others. Um, I have an image of a desert and I just want you to picture that you as yourself are in a desert, a vast and dry and hot desert and you're parched and desperate for water and then you come across a spring of water, an abundant overflowing spring of water. You drink deeply and you're fully satisfied. Would you keep the location of that spring of water to yourself or would you share it with others? We are motivated out of love because we have found the spring of water, the spring of water, of living water, and it is out of love that we share that. Um, I, <laughs> I remember reading or hearing once that new Christians should be locked up for the first six months because they go around telling everybody. <laughs> um, I know because I, I did the same, and it wasn't always done with a great deal of tact or uh, gentleness, and um, it's just that I, I, I remember that feeling of when I found that spring of living water, that, that, that it was overwhelming. And um, I found that I, I had found the place that quenches all of my thirst and I wanted to share that place with the others. Um, the, the thirst for love and the thirst for meaning, the thirst for hope and for acceptance, for peace and for purpose and direction. And I wanted it so badly. I think I, I, I'm pretty sure I scared my sister. <laughs> Poor girl, and um, and uh, and my family thought I'd gone crazy, but um, it's out of that deep desire to share. Okay. Um, the other thing I wanted to share is that the word "go" is written over fifteen hundred times in the Bible. It's two hundred and thirty-three times in the New Testament, and fifty-four times in the Gospel of Matthew. We're told to go and invite all you meet. Go and tell. Go to the lost sheep. Go and make disciples. We are, in fact, called to go. But I want you to remember that Peter's advice <laughs> is to... It is with gentleness and it is with respect. I want to to come and share a testimony of God's transformative power in her father's life. I think this one's working. My testimony of my dad and what, what God did in our family. I grew up not really having a healthy relationship with my dad. It was a dysfunctional relationship. For many years, I saw dad, but really didn't have that healthy relationship as, a, as between a father and a daughter. But in 2014, when my niece was born, our father came into our lives in a greater way. 
and made an effort to make a relationship and wanted a relationship. I have to admit, I wasn't sure, but I knew I had to forgive my dad in my heart for not loving me and my sister and not being there when growing up and not wanting daughters. For many years, God worked in my heart with all the pain for my father that I had gone through, and God helped me to forgive and love him despite the past and the hurts. It was 2017 when I was told that my dad had preliminary fibrosis, which is a lung disease that can't be healed. He was, told that, he was told by the doctors that he wouldn't have time to live. When I heard the news of my dad being sick, I flew home quickly as possible. To be honest, I flew home thinking, was this the last time or was I going to bury my dad? After a few days of being home, I had a chance to share my testimony of my life, of what God had done. And it was the first time he ever heard of it. I was able to share how God had healed me over ovary cancer, epilepsy, third degree burns to my left side. My dad knew I had been sick, but didn't know the story of what God had done. My dad said he was scared of dying and wanted the fear to go away. I said to my dad, God loves you more than anyone else. And he can do the impossible. He can change your life around and he can heal you. At that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit say, pray the sinner's prayer with your dad and to lead him to Christ. Right then, I asked my dad to give his heart to Christ, and he did. What a beautiful moment. I had told my friend Rahini that my dad had given, him, given his heart to the Lord, and I wanted her and the pastor to pray for him. So she invited us to the Easter Friday event picnic a few days later, and my dad's heart was open to hearing more. So Rahini and the pastor prayed for my dad, and he gave his heart to the Lord once again. Then on Easter Sunday, Dad went to church for the very first time. They had prayed for him, for his healing, and welcomed him into the family. He was touched and felt loved. That Sunday at church, they had announced about the Alpha course starting the following week. And so Dad asked, what is the Alpha course? And signed up. Dad's heart was open. He was curious and wanted to know who this Jesus was and if he could really heal him. He also wanted to meet new people and new friends. He had many questions through Alpha and got answers, and he built some great relationships. He loved it so much, he did it a second time. As of today, my dad has been baptized. My dad is still living, going to church every week. He has li his life has changed for the better. When God transforms lives, he does more than just upgrade us. He makes all things new. Our lives are made new to the point that they are almost unrecognizable from the past. So if you have a family member far from God or sick or even have a dysfunctional relationship with a family member, don't give up praying for your family's salvation as God hears your prayers. And he says he makes all things beautiful in his time. Amen. Um, so I, I was blessed uh, to hear this story and, and there are very many times we get to partner with God in the reaping into his kingdom. 
but I, would, I want to, us to recognize that above all, it is a process, okay? Um, I'm bringing us back to this quote that I put up earlier from Lawrence Singlehurst, that it is above all, it, it, evangelism is a process over a period of time of taking people from where they are and changing their picture of God in the church. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, they will then hopefully want to give their hearts and their lives to Christ. I read that it is more important to leave someone more positive for their next Holy Spirit encounter than it is to tell them everything you know. Okay. Um, uh, Lawrence Singlehurst also says that the problem is that so many of us, either subconsciously or consciously, believe that evangelism is only the reaping, the, the asking someone to give their hearts to Christ and, and praying that prayer and bringing them into the kingdom. And he says it's so much more to recognize that evangelism is not just the reaping but the sowing. Imagine a farmer going out to reap his crop when he hasn't even planted a seed, he hasn't plowed the land, he hasn't cleared the rock. It's a process and we're invited to be a part of not just the reaping process but the sowing process too. And those who sow seeds of the kingdom of God are just as anointed and just as important as those who reap people into the kingdom of God because it is a process. Um, the scripture I want to have on screen is that um, that of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 9, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. It's a real blessing to be able to partner with God on both in both the sowing and the reaping process. Um, so last August, I went to Bangalore for um, an Al Adonai healing and deliverance conference and I was totally blessed. And one of the things that um, the pastor was sharing was uh, he challenged us to see that our beliefs were filed either into one of two drawers, the lies drawer or the truth drawer. And he challenged us to recognize that many of us have lies in our truth drawer and truth in our lies drawer. And he was challenging us to reorganize our drawers. And I prayed and I asked the Holy Spirit to show me what lies have I got in my truth drawer. And among many others, he showed me this one lie that just stopped me dead, that I believe that some people are too far from God, that it's just not my place to share with them about Jesus. Don Everts and Jung, Doug Shupp, wrote a book called I Once Was Lost in which they share patterns found in their interviews of over 2,000 people who had come to faith and how they got there. When they looked at those stories and of faith of those who hadn't already come from a Christian family, they found that for 70% the journey, their journey to faith started by getting to know and trust a Christian friend. 70%. Nobody is too far to make friends with. Everts and Shop then went on to discover that almost all of these people interviewed had actually crossed five significant thresholds on their journey to the kingdom of God. And I want to briefly share these thresholds with you and point out some ways that we can each play a part in helping our friends to cross over each of these thresholds. But before I begin, I want you to put one specific person in your mind, somebody that you have been praying for, hoping and believing would come to Christ Keep that person in your mind as you speak, as I speak. Um, and ask, and if you're here today and you haven't given your heart to Jesus, I want you to keep yourself in mind as I speak. And 
keep in mind your journey that has brought you up to this point today. So the first um, of the five thresholds is the threshold from distrust to trust. I've just spent a couple of weeks in Australia and um, have become more bold in sharing just about my faith and, and bringing it into conversation in a natural way. But what I noticed so much was the distrust that so many people had towards Christians, before, towards God, towards organised religion. There's so much distrust there. And it broke my heart because it's not God's fault. God is good and we have seen his goodness is overflowing and never-ending. And it broke my heart to see so much distrust. But we have a very unique opportunity to share and be and partner with people and show them that we are trustworthy, that God is good and we're okay. <laughs> um, the, okay, so I wanted to say that as well, breaking down these barriers of distrust, it all begins with relationship. Jesus himself built relationship with his disciples. He came to the earth and he pitched a tent right here with us. He dined with us. He came to our parties. He invested in his people and we need to do the same. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A person that has not yet crossed the, th the threshold from distrust to trust might be guarded and closed towards Christians. They may believe that Christians are boring, hypocritical and judgmental. They may have personal experience of being controlled by religion. They may have a deep distrust, maybe harboring feelings of being hurt by the church. They may be holding you accountable for all the bad that's been done in the name of religion. But you can help your friends to cross over from distrust to trust by praying. Prayer every, through every step of this process is absolutely essential. Pray that God will give you his heart for your, his people. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Care, love, listen. Be wholly present and listen for their deeper needs. Come into their world and be vulnerable enough to invite them into yours. Maintain excellence in your character and integrity. So many people I distrust all Christians because of somebody who's done something personal. And also, always, always, always be motivated out of love. People are not projects. People can spot a fake from a mile away. This is not about pushing our agenda, but truly loving people like God loves his people. The second threshold to faith I want to share with you is the threshold from complacency to curiosity. Just because someone trusts you doesn't necessarily follow that they're super curious about Jesus. But curiosity tends to blossom over time and should do as you do life with your friends. A person who has not yet crossed over the threshold from uh, complacency to curiosity might say things like, I'm not interested in all this religious stuff. Or they're satisfied with life just as, just as it is. They're happy to keep the, the status quo, to get by. Um, say things like, you don't need religion to be a good person, or I have all the answers, or don't you know that truth is subjective? Um, you can help your, your friends to cross over from complacency to curiosity by prayer, 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 that God would guide you in provoking curiosity. Jesus is so good at provoking curiosity. Did you know that Jesus asked 183 questions in the Gospels? He answered just three of them and asked 307 questions back. You can live a life that provokes curiosity. You can ask questions that help conversations move towards spiritual things. You can encourage questions, such, such as if it turned out that there was a God and you could ask one question, what would it be? Have you ever had a spiritual experience? Would, what do you think life is about? Do you have a destiny? So be different. Live curiously. 
be countercultural. Jesus was countercultural. He didn't fit inside the box that we tried, that the Pharisees and everybody tried to fit him in. The Pharisees, they wanted to know why he touched the leper. Why was he eating with sinners? The disciples wanted to know why was, did he keep provoking the authorities and why he allowed little kids to take up so much of his time. Look for authentic opportunities to share your life and your decisions with your friends. Use parables. Pay attention to the world around you. There are so many opportunities to draw what is happening right now in front of us to what we see in the word of God. But make it authentic. People can spot a fate from miles away. It is about provoking their curiosity and always motivated out of love. Um, right now, I just want to say, if you, if you have found your friend to be curious about Jesus, it's a great opportunity to invite them to join Alpha where they can explore these and many questions further. The Alpha team are trained in how to create a safe, open and friendly space for your friend and explore their, their questions about faith, life and meaning and carefully guide them along the path of faith. The values of Alpha are to be real and relational and fully reliant on the Holy Spirit. And the point of Alpha is to give a, and create a safe space to explore truth in the, concept, on the, in the context of relationships. The third threshold to faith I want to talk about is that of being closed to change to being open to change. Out of all the five thresholds, this is the hardest because change can be scary. It can be, it can be beautiful, but it can be very scary. It may mean addressing questions that have been purposely ignored for years. And it will mean looking at the world in a whole new light. In the story of the rich young ruler, when Jesus took it deeper to see if the man was really open to change in his life by rethinking his relationship to money, the trusting and curious young man walked away sad. He had passed the first two thresholds and at the third was unable to apply that to his own life. Jesus himself practiced speaking the truth in love wherever he went. As his approach differed very much, it depended on where people were at and what they needed. In John 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well and he touches her pain with truth. Jesus gently touches the pain of the broken and the honest with non-judgmental truthfulness. But in John 5, Jesus meets the man who'd been laying by the healing pools for many years and in this case, he confronts him. Do you want to get well? Jesus mobilized the self-pitying and the fearful by calling them from their inaction to action. So a friend that may have not passed this threshold from being close to change to being open to change may say things like, Jesus obviously works for you, but he doesn't work for me. They might be entrenched in family or cultural beliefs. They might be terribly afraid of the social and the cultural and the family implications of becoming a Christian. They might be paralyzed with fear of the what-ifs and avoid the immediate discomfort of change, even knowing if it's better, that it's better on the other side of it. They might be a Jesus fan. Happy to discuss faith topics of Jesus, but not really open to having Jesus change their way, their life in any way. In this stage, you can help your friends to cross over from being close to change to being open to change by prayer. Do not grow weary. Do not grow discouraged. And Moses couldn't hold his arms up anymore. He had friends to help him to hold his arms up. Don't just pray, keep praying, but keep your friends with you and pray with them and let, help them to carry you in prayer as well. This can be a very hard hard time. Be patient. Empathize with the real difficulty that this means, the inner conflict that your friend is experiencing as they face change. Give your friends the space and the permission to explore the what-ifs. Offer encouragement and clarity as your friend experiences the back and forth tug of facing change. 
and be willing to be uncomfortable as you speak the truth in love. Your friend may need to be challenged to face their fears. Make sure that you know and let they know that you're there. You're <laughs> make sure that they know that you are their friend regardless of what they decide. The fourth threshold to faith I want to share with you is about is that of meandering to seeking. When someone is truly seeking, there's an urgency and a purpose to their searching. They're counting the costs and they're making a, um, on making a decision to follow Christ. It's almost as if they're on a quest. They're not just searching for God, they're seeking Jesus. They make the implications of following Jesus personal to themselves. It's a wonderfully exciting but very exhausting stage to be in. It takes energy and, it's, and takes focus and it's important to recognise when our friend is in this stage. As people not often will walk away when they feel like they haven't, answered the, they haven't found the answers to their questions. It's also important to discern the difference between this threshold and the second threshold of curiosity. So if your friend is in the second threshold of curiosity, they might be asking questions, but they're not open to change yet. So don't mistake their curiosity for true seeking. And you, we say, like, if you have a friendship bridge, you don't want to drive a five-ton bridge uh, truck over a one-ton bridge. Um, so don't, don't go – just be gentle and recognise that they are – if they're in their seeking stage, that you can be there for them. Um, a friend that has not yet gone from meandering to seeking, they may be considering all kinds of spiritual answers to their questions, not just Jesus. They might be asking questions, they might be discussing issues, maybe they're attending events with Christians, but their search lacks urgency. You can help your friend to cross over into the next, this, this, this threshold by praying that you would get out of your comfort zone. Because in this stage, it can be very helpful to openly challenge your friend to seek Jesus as the answer to the questions that they have. Be vulnerable and share your own ongoing story with them. Explore scripture together and show them how to build their lives on Jesus' words. Open up your prayer life to them. Show them how to communicate, commune with God on a personal level and model how you seek God yourself. And don't shield them. Let them have the opportunity to count the cost of following Jesus. The fifth threshold to coming to faith is that of going from being lost to being found. The man who came across the treasure in the field, he sold everything he had and he bought that field. The pearl merchant who came across the pearl, he sold everything he had and bought the pearl. Jesus wants us to make a decision for that his treasure is worth everything. It is a thing of great joy and great cost. The cost is dear, but it's nothing compared to what is being gained. The selling all is the crossing of this threshold. Don't be tempted to oversimplify and rush your friend into a decision. You want your friend to be fully and knowledgeably and comprehensively entering the kingdom of God, else risk them making a rocky soil decision. But when someone makes a wholehearted decision to cross that final threshold of faith and enter the kingdom of God, there is a party in heaven. When your, partner, when your friend has not yet crossed this threshold to faith, they might feel that like they're in the courting period, but they haven't made an eternally significant commitment yet. They've been actively seeking Jesus, but they, and they feel like a decision needs to be made. And you can help them in this phase by praying. At this, the, the battle is real. The spiritual battle is real. Uh, we have a real enemy, and he knows that he may be losing one, someone into the kingdom of God. Keep an appropriate sense of urgency. In Mark 4.29, it says, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. 
Show your friend how to make the decision to, f- to follow Jesus. Be clear that it is a wholehearted decision. Don't make it too complex, but don't imp- oversimplify it either. Help them to focus on the central issues. It's okay that they still have questions. And make sure that they know that you're walking with them and you won't leave them to walk alone. I was really excited when I came across these five thresholds to faith because I know that I myself crossed each of these thresholds. I was helped along by a friend who built trust with me by showing great compassion when I was truly broken. I remember as I struggled with the idea that people hate Christians. That was a question I said, but don't people hate Christians? Um, I asked my friend, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean daily to be a Christian? And she said to me that it was about knowing that she was planned, that she was completely loved, and that it meant opening her heart to trust and accept that he knows the right path for her. How would you answer that question? She introduced me to a dynamic way to read and understand and apply the word of God to my own life. She was open and honest with me about her own journey and she helped me to both see the joys and count the cost of choosing a life with Jesus. She made me available. She made herself available to help me to find the answers to my many questions. I saw God at work in every single step of the process. He was seeking after me. And I remarked that it felt like God was saying to me, Ackley, I'm still here. Are you ready yet? <laughs> and finally, through his Holy Spirit, he brought me to a place where I was ready to make that decision to follow him. And I didn't even know at the time about the biblical connotations of making a vow but I felt like I'd been in a period of courting with God and I was ready to make the commitment to him, so I wrote my vows to God. I said in my journaling, I'm ready to jump wholeheartedly into a lifelong commitment to God. Like any marriage, I know that the road will not always be smooth and straight, but like in a marriage, by making a vow, it's a bond and an agreement to keep working on it. And like my brother said, find a partner with whom you share values, not interests. And I want to partner with God who values love, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, patience, tolerance and understanding. And in my prayer I wrote, My Heavenly Father, will you be my partner through life? I know I'm not perfect and I'm telling you I'm sure I'll disappoint you and I'll let you down sometimes. But I promise not to stop loving you and always to try to do the right thing by you. I vow to continue to seek your kingdom. When I lose perspective, I ask that you send me guidance and clarity. When I have doubts, I promise not to lose faith. I ask that you will hold my hand through good times and bad and carry me when I can't make it myself. To make sure I feel your unconditional love even through disappointment, despair and heartbreak. I give myself to you with all my heart and look forward to walking side by side with you for eternity. You are my number one, your child and partner, Athlete. This prayer began my real walk with Jesus and it's been amazing ever since. Every single person that has ever been found was found because of our great and loving God. And the glory goes to him, but we are invited to be a part of this grand journey and joyful conclusion. Understanding where your friends are at on their journey can help you to discern how best to love them and how best to serve them. The thresholds are not the be-all and end-all, but they are a good tool to help us to be more fruitful in our efforts to help others come closer to Jesus. And they do give us hope that we, what we're doing has real and eternal value, that evangelism doesn't have to be scary, and that we all can play our part in achieving City Hill's vision to become a Christ-centred, gospel-advancing, city-impacting church. So trust me when I say you'll never be sorry you gave a friend a chance to meet Jesus. Um, Can I invite the band to come on up? And I just wanted to finish by um, asking that we could get into groups of three, four, five and come together and pray over some specific prayer points. The first prayer point is that 
If you know that you haven't entered the kingdom of God by making a wholehearted decision to follow Jesus Christ, but you want to, please be bold and ask the people in your group to pray with you. I remember feeling there was nothing worse than having to come down to the front for prayer. <laughs> I want to hope that you have a, a, a create a safe space to be bold and say, I want to cross that final threshold. Will you help me? Pray that God would show you where your friend is at and their journey of faith, the one that you had in your mind, and that he would show you how you can best love and serve them and help them to cross each threshold. And finally, please pray that Alpha would have a great impact in our city and that it would be the bridge between the church and the city of Dubai. So um, <laughs> thank you very much, guys. And if anyone wants to come and talk to us about Alpha, if you have any friends and you want to get them in contact, please do find anybody who's wearing our shirts. And I thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you today. There we go. I don't know what's going on with these mics today. Let's just stand. Let's just do that. Get into groups of two, three, four. We haven't got loads of time left, but it would be great to finish this with prayer. Really believing that God can use Alpha and what we're doing here as a church to impact and actually transform this city for the gospel. So turn around, find some people that look friendly, maybe people you don't know. Give them a hug. Let's just pray. The prayer points will be on the screen. Uh, Somebody will put those back up. Let's just quickly pray for Alpha. Pray for that person you had in your mind. Let's just have faith for what we're going to do. Let's just do that for the next couple of minutes, okay? Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.